right, well, let's get straight into it. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. We're going to read through to uh, verse 37. Uh, just turn, turn there, uh, and then we will get cracking. All right, are you guys all there? You ready? Okay. It says, uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See, the love of Christ gives us the endurance to accomplish the mission that God has called us to. Through the love of Christ, we can face the giants, we can face the obstacles, we can believe God for miracles, we can believe God to overcome the, the challenges and the setbacks and uh, to overcome the obstacles, to believe Him for the impossible. We are more than conquerors through the love of Christ. We are more than conquerors through the love of Christ. Turn to your neighbor and say, more than conquerors. Turn to your second choice and say, more than conquerors. All right, uh, let's, let's pray uh, and then we'll get uh, plugged in. Thank you, Jesus, that you are opening our eyes, opening our ears to hear the voice of the Spirit. We pray, Lord, that as we uh, listen to what you have to say to us this morning, that it will transform our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. All right, so uh, in preparation for their trip, um, uh, Adrian and Lee met with Nangi and I a few times, and it was awesome just to be able to tell them what to kind of expect when they go to Zim. And the thing with Zim, right, is that it's, it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag because on the one hand, there is like no power, no fuel, uh, and all sorts of shortages. Uh, but on the other hand, it is such a beautiful country, especially where they're going uh, to, to Kariba. There's uh, wildlife, you're on the water, you're fishing. It's amazing. They're going to get to go to Mana Pools as well, which is such a beautiful area. There's loads of wildlife that's there. And um, uh, they're really going to get to experience um, the beauty of Zimbabwe in addition to, you know, all the sort of challenges that are there. Um, but when I often talk about Zim uh, with, with Adrian and, and, and Lee, one of the things that uh, often happens is I'm, I always talk about uh, my home because it's such a precious place to me. It's, it's such a special place to me. And, um, you know, the thing about uh, the farm where we, where we grew up uh, or where especially my parents grew up and where we would go very often is, uh, is, is, is that it's, it's in the mountains of the eastern highlands of Zimbabwe. So it's uh, about 40 k's from Mutare, which is the third largest city in, in Zim. And uh, Mutare is right on the border uh, with Mozambique. And uh, being in this area, it's very mountainous. It's very similar to the Drakensberg. It's absolutely beautiful. And I uh, absolutely love being there and being on the, on the, on the farm. Um, but to give you a little bit of a of a background or backdrop to, to this farm. My, my grandparents in 1952 
um, were uh, working a few uh, number of Ks uh, away from our hometown. And uh, they decided that, you know what, they want to give up their professions. My grandfather was a teacher and my grandmother a nurse. And they were quite young. My grandfather was 34, grandmother 28. And they decided, you know, we're going to quit our jobs and we're going to become farmers. So they uh, searched and searched for an available farm to, to, to buy in our uh, home area. And they couldn't find one until they found the very last farm that was available, Farm 85 in Tsonzo. And uh, that's the, the, the main house that they, that they built. Uh, the very first one that they built didn't look like that. It was uh, a very different story. Um, but, um, you know, they, you know, started out this life as, um, as farmers. And, um, you know, they, you know, uh, went into dairy farming. And, and, and I've got a few more pictures uh, for you to see that that, that is uh, sunset on the, on, the, on the main road. Um, that is my grandmother's clinic. Now... Uh, she, you know, because things were difficult, you couldn't just do farming, you had to do something else. And she also had a passion for, for medicine and so on. So she, she got my grandfather to build her a clinic. And uh, the first door was the main treatment room. The second two doors were the wards. And uh, a number of my cousins and my older brothers were actually born in that clinic. Uh, it doesn't look like much now, but I promise you back in his day, it was buzzing. Um, when, when, when we were growing up and we would go there, my grandmother used to make uh, us line up. Now, you've got to understand, I've got a ton of cousins, right? Um, uh, I think we were probably close to 60 or 70 or so. And she used to make us line up outside that door, and she used to give us a tablespoon of castor oil every time we went to visit her. I remember the one time um, my, my brother had a cough, and he, he coughed just as she was putting the the spoon in his mouth. And so, you know how the Constitutional Court uh, has kind of ruled about spanking your kids uh, at home? Different life and time. Um, so, yeah, so that was, the, that was my grandmother's clinic. And um, that's, uh, so my, my dad is, my parents are now running the farm. My dad is a dairy farmer. It's one of the cows uh, that's there. This is the, the, the valley that looks down into the, into the fields and, and, and so on. So you can see what the mountains are like that surround it. Um, uh, another picture for you. That's the lounge uh, inside the main, the main house. You can uh, see the driveway. That's the driveway to the, to the, main, um, to the main gate. Um, and that is Nangi's kitchen. Um, it's currently my mom's kitchen, but it's already been decided that Nangi's going to inherit that kitchen. Um, and uh, that is the sunset end of the day. Um, and as the sunset came down on uh, my, my grandparents' graves, those are their graves. But, you know, every time I think about their, their life and their legacy, I'm so inspired by how they worked so hard to develop this place. It was complete and utter bush when they got there. And uh, for some reason, no one wanted to buy it, so they, so they bought it, and they turned it into something that today, even though they're long gone, uh, today we can enjoy this place, and it can be a place that we, that we call home. And so, you know, being in the, in the rural reserves, um, uh, market gardening was the key to success, right? Cash crops 
were the only way to go. And so what they would do is they would grow vegetables and uh, they would, uh, every Sunday night, pack those uh, vegetables into my granddad's uh, truck. And every Monday morning at the crack of dawn, they would uh, go through to the city and uh, sell their vegetables. And that's how, they, um, that's how they survived. And, you know, by the time it was the 60s, my, my dad's you know, generation, my dad and his siblings, had ballooned to uh, about 10. And um, on top of that, there were cousins and cousins' cousins and workers and workers' relatives and so on. So there were always people at this farm. So there's a big burden of responsibility to look after all the people that were on this farm that uh, called this place home. And so uh, for my grandparents, they worked very hard to uh, make this place a, a reality um, but now I just need to give you a little bit of history uh, before I go into a story that I want to tell you about my grandparents. Up until 1980, uh, Zimbabwe was uh, known as Rhodesia, right? And Rhodesia was very, very similar to South Africa during the apartheid era. So racial segregation, racial discrimination, um, social injustice, and so on, as it was here in South Africa, it was exactly the same in Zim. And uh, in the then Rhodesia throughout the 60s, um, as other African countries were gaining independence from colonial rule, countries like Kenya, Tanzania, Botswana, Zambia, Ghana, you name it, as they were all gaining independence, African countries in the south, like South Africa and Zimbabwe, or then Rhodesia, believed that the same would happen for them too. So a number of African nationalist leaders started to rise up, like Nelson Mandela, Oliver Tambo, in, here in South Africa. In Zim, it was Robert Mugabe and Joshua Nkomo and many others who rose up uh, to uh, try and see through uh, regime change and black majority rule. Um, but independence didn't come here or in uh, the then Rhodesia. It didn't come. In fact, these leaders either got imprisoned or uh, ended up in exile. And so the last resort was to try and bring change through an armed military struggle, a liberation movement, a liberation revolution through, um, through, through military combat. And so what uh, happened was that a number of uh, people, ordinary people in villages and so on, were mobilized across the country um, and uh, were led out uh, to cross the border into Zambia through the Zambezi River. So they crossed the river and uh, through into Mozambique, uh, going through the mountain range uh, on the, in the eastern highlands uh, through Mozambique, uh, in, through to Mozambique. Um, from what was then Rhodesia. And what, what happened around that time is that um, the, the military support, uh, arms and ammunition came through uh, China and, and Russia mainly, um, and they provided the, uh, the guerrilla warfare training that happened in Zambia and, and Mozambique. But going through into the 70s, most of that, uh, most of that training uh, and the training camps were in Mozambique. And so what these, um, what these freedom fighters would do is that once they had been trained and they'd been given their, their ammunition and guns and so on, they would cross back into the country, and especially those coming through Mozambique, would come through the mountains, and uh, their strategy 
was to target specific uh, infrastructure, whether it was road or rail, um, food supplies, and so on. They'll go for specific locations. And um, because the Rhodesian army, the Rhodesian forces were now trying to retaliate, uh, the fighting started to intensify. And especially in the, in the eastern highlands in the east, near the Mozambican border, that's where there was a lot of heavy gunfire and a lot of violence. Um, um, as the, as the uh, freedom fighters were engaging the Rhodesian army. And uh, especially in the late uh, 70s, it became very brutal. And uh, that's why the Rhodesian Bush War is uh, very well known for its, its brutality. Um, and because our farm was in the Eastern Highlands, in that area, in that mountains, so, mountainous sort of region, uh, and very close to the Mozambican border. A lot of the fighting happened around, in and around uh, the, our, our farm. And um, this, is the, uh, this is the backdrop for what happened on the 16th of October, 1978. My grandparents had packed their vegetables to take through to the city, and they were driving down, uh, down the valley, driving down the road, and my grandfather's truck was a dark green truck. And the, the freedom fighters that saw my, my grandfather approaching mistook it for an army vehicle. And so they had a uh, grenade launcher. Uh, I don't know what, what else to call it, like a, a bazooka type of um, weapon. And they fired a grenade uh, at the vehicle. And the first grenade hit the engine, and it blew. It blew up. It exploded. Uh, the second grenade went through to the rear cab of, um, of the truck behind the driver's seat, but uh, it didn't explode. So completely shaken by what had happened and completely traumatized and completely surprised that their lives had been preserved, um, and, and remember, this, this happened at the crack of dawn, so the sun hadn't fully come up yet, and all they saw that happened because it was dark, all they saw was this fireball coming towards them and then this explosion right in front of their faces. And so um, when they realized what had happened and they managed to get out of the vehicle, they realized that they didn't have a single scratch on them, that their lives had been preserved. But here now is where the story gets very interesting. They looked in the back of their truck and saw that the vegetables were still intact. Every single one of them was still intact. And they had these bags, these 50 kg bags. And they put all the vegetables into the bags and they waited for the first bus to town. And they took those vegetables to the market. And I remember asking my dad, because I had to fact check the story, and I was asking him to tell me the story. And I was like, but dad, explain to me, explain to me why is it that they didn't give up? Why is it that they didn't take a break, that they didn't give up, that they didn't give in, that they didn't just want to shrink back and maybe just at least consider their lives here? Why is it that they pressed forward with the mission? I don't understand it. I don't get it. And my dad said, it's because there were many mouths to feed back home. There were many mouths to feed back home. They persisted with the mission because there were many mouths to feed back home. Now, how many of you know that in Johannesburg, there is a spiritual malnourishment, a spiritual hunger in, in the city? And 
People need to be fed with the gospel. People need to be fed with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we cannot afford to shrink back when we face resistance, when we face a setback, when we face uh, an attack of the enemy or an attack on, 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 our, uh, on our well-being, we cannot afford to shrink back. I want to share a scripture with you, powerful scripture from John 21 and verse 15 to 21. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles there um, with me. And I want, to, I, want to, I want to give you some context to this. Uh, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus dies and he's crucified and, and, and he's buried and then he resurrects. But he, Peter didn't get an opportunity to actually have a conversation with Jesus after he's denied him. He didn't get an opportunity to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm really sorry that I, I let you down. I'm sorry that I did this. Uh, that was it. That was the end. He denies him, Jesus dies, and then that's it. And so because he's so disappointed and because he has experienced the setback, he decides, you know what, the mission of God is too heavy and I'm not worthy to carry this burden. So I'm just going to shrink back and do what I've always done before. I'm going to go back to fishing, right? So they go, he goes back and he's fishing. And then Jesus resurrects. And uh, a few days later, Jesus appears to the disciples, but he's on the, on the beach and he's making a fire and they're about to have breakfast. And uh, it's after breakfast that Peter and Jesus have their one-on-one -on -one, uh, convo. Uh, verse 15 of uh, chapter, one, chapter 21 says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, this is Jesus saying to Simon uh, Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. We'll pause there. But what Jesus was essentially saying to Peter is that if you love me, I know you failed. I know that you denied me and so on. But if you love me, then get back on mission. Feed my sheep. Get back on mission. Spread the gospel. Get back on mission. Get back on mission. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because people need to know about him through us. We cannot give up in our mission to share the good news of Jesus because the lives that are dependent on it are too precious for us to shrink back, for us to diminish the call, for us to discount the call. But you might be saying, okay, so Will, if there is a call in our lives to uh, feed the sheep, to feed people with spiritual nourishment, what is it that we're supposed to give them? What food are we supposed to give them? John 6 verse 35 says, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. We need to feed people with the good news of Jesus because he's the bread of life and he's true sustenance. 
You know that the material things of this world, the natural things of this world, do not satisfy. They're here today and gone tomorrow. The Bible says that we should focus on that which is unseen, because that which is unseen is eternal. That which is seen is temporal. We need to feed people with that which is eternal, the bread of life, with Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now you might be saying, but Will, I believe in Jesus. I've given my heart to him, but my faith is weak. I feel fatigued. I feel like I'm not strong enough to continue. I feel like I'm not even strong enough to share the good news, to share the gospel, to allow what God is doing through my life to be relevant to other people. What about me? What am I going to eat on? What am I going to feed on? The solution is the same. You've got to feed on Jesus. You've got to feed on the Word. Matthew 4 and verse uh, 1 to 4 says, then, the, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So here's the setting. Jesus is about to start his ministry, and he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and now he's hungry. He's feeling weak. He's feeling weak. He's feeling weak. And what, is, and what happens? Then the devil comes to him, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, Jesus says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need to feed on the word of God. When you're feeling weak in your faith, you need to feed on the word of God. Why do we need to feed on the word of God? Why do we need to feed on the word of God? Because the word of God gives life to faith. Faith comes through the word of God. Romans 10 verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. So faith comes through the word of God. And why do we need faith? Why is it important that we have faith? Because faith helps us to recognize the goodness of God. Faith helps us to see that God is good. Even though we might be going through challenges, experiencing setbacks, experiencing mountains, giants, and obstacles, we need faith to see that God is good through it all, to see the hand of God. Psalm 34 and verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So as we partake of the word of God, faith is built, and then we get a heavenly perspective. When we start to see things the way God sees it, we start to see things the way God sees it. So when your faith is going uh, through the fire, you need to read the Word of God. You need to read the Word of God, get your faith built up so that you can see the hand of God. So what must we ask for when we pray? What must we ask for when we pray? Um, in Luke chapter 11, when um, Jesus is with his disciples, the disciples ask him, Master, teach us to pray. And then Jesus starts to go into what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. And he's like, when you pray, you must say, Our Father, holy is your name, etc. Et but verse 3, what does he say? He says, give us each day our daily bread. 
When you pray, you must say, Lord, give me the word that I need to hear today to keep my faith on fire. Give me the word I need to hear so that my faith can be built so I can see your hand, so I can see your goodness, so I can see that you're involved in my life and that you're helping me, you're there. Have you ever been in a situation where you don't really understand what's going on, but in hindsight, when you look back at what's happened, you start to see that, you know what? I can see why this had to happen in order for that to happen. I can see that God was involved here, 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 and here. And I can see why I had to go through that. It's because God had this plan for me. That is a heavenly perspective. That is your ability to see what God is doing, God's hand through what's happening. You can only see that through faith. And you need the Word of God to build faith. You know, when I think about Scripture and how the Word of God can build up our faith, um, there's a Scripture that I want to I share with you. It's a powerful Scripture. And as I share this, uh, this passage with you, I want to I encourage you to kind of imagine my grandparents going down, uh, going down the valley and going down that road. I've actually got a picture of it. That's the road that they were going down on and uh, uh, before they uh, experienced that attack. I want you to picture that as I, as I read the Scripture. And I want you to see how the Word of God is powerful in building your faith. It says, even though, this is uh, Psalm 23 in verse 4 to 5, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I love the way it's uh, uh, put in the King James Version where it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or yea, though I walk through death's dark veil, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me still. You have prepared a table before mine enemies, and thou dost anoint my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. Some of you may not feel like you can relate to the scripture because you're saying, you know what, well, I live in Joburg. There are no valleys. There are no grenades. Uh, How does this actually work in my life? Well, maybe your valleys and your grenades are... Uh, the kids that are driving you nuts. Maybe they are the wayward teen that you have. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's financial distress. Maybe your business is on the brink of collapse. Maybe it's your marriage that's in trouble. Maybe that's the grenade that you're facing. Maybe you're struggling with pornography. Maybe you you struggle with lying. Maybe you struggle with your temper. Maybe you struggle with racial prejudice. And you hate who you are because you see it flare up at the worst time possible. Maybe those are the grenades that you're facing. What do you need to know when you face the tantrums of Satan? When you face the attack of the enemy? When you face the grenades that he he throws at you? When when you face the, the realness of life? What do you need to know? Number one, you need to know that you should not fear his rod and his staff will comfort you. His rod and his staff will comfort you. In in, in biblical times, a shepherd would have a rod to beat off wild animals, and he would have a staff. I don't know if you guys know those staffs that um, had a, a curved end on it. 
a curved end, and a, and a shepherd would take that staff. When he can see a sh- one of the sheep going astray, he would extend the staff, hook it around the neck of, of the sheep, and he would draw the sheep close. You must know that when you're uh, facing resistance, when you're facing a setback, facing a challenge, that God's rod, rod will protect you from the attacks of the enemy, and his staff will draw you in. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Number two, sit down and eat your food. How many of you said that to your kids? Sit down and eat your food. Verse 5 of of Psalm 23 says, uh, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. When you're experiencing the attack of the enemy, when you're experiencing setbacks and challenges, obstacles and giants, you need to sit down and eat your food. There's a table that's been prepared for you and you need to sit down and eat your food. What is your food? Your food is the word of God. The food is the word of God. Why do you need the word of God? Because the word of God will build your faith. When you're weak and fatigued, you need to build your faith with the Word of God. And why do you need faith? You need faith to see the goodness of God, to see the hand of God, to recognize that God is involved in your life. Here's some scriptures that you can read when you're experiencing the attack of the enemy, when you're experiencing hardship, when you're experiencing challenges. Here's some scriptures for you. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 to 10. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Don't give up. We are more than conquerors. Don't give up. We are more than conquerors. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Don't give up. We're more than conquerors. John 16 and verse 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. The world, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Don't give up, we're more than conquerors. Romans 8 and verse 35 to 37, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or your marriage, or your, uh, your job, your boss, the lack of a job, or maybe your business which is about to close down. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Number three, you're anointed 
and you have more than enough. In verse 5, it says that uh, God anoints us. He says, it says that he has anointed us. And the anointing is the divine enablement of God. It's God's ability to accomplish his will, his, his purpose, his mission through your life. And then it says, my cup runs over. My cup overflows. And that just means that you have more than enough. And what it's saying is that your capacity, your limitations, I don't know what it might be. It might be the fact that your bank account is on, on the dry side. Maybe it's that uh, you don't think you're pretty enough or you don't have nice clothes or maybe you don't have a job. What it's saying is that your capacity, your limitations, God is putting into you more than what you can contain and that stuff that he's putting into you, whether it's patience, peace, kindness, uh, love, joy, self-control, that stuff that he's putting into you is going to overflow. You will have more than enough. And he does this so that when you put the insufficiency of your life into his hands, a miracle can happen. A miracle can happen. So that no one should boast and say that it was us who did it. No so that we can point to Jesus and say, hey, look, it's Jesus. So in conclusion this morning, I want to encourage you not to limit the call of God in your life to just a Sunday. Don't come to church every other week or, you know, every third Sunday and limit what God wants to do through your life and what he's building to just a little bit of your diary, just squeezing him in. Maybe you do that just to feel better about yourself. Don't limit the call of God to just that. We live in a generation that quits too easily. If only we could recognize what God has given us. He's given us a table in the presence of our enemies that if we would just sit and eat the Word of God. We would have the faith to believe that, you know what, I can do more than just come to church on a Sunday. I can do more. I can actually accomplish a purpose that has got eternal significance. Eternal significance. Get on mission. Get on mission. Don't allow the setbacks and the challenges, the mountains and the giants to uh, discount and diminish and discourage you from accomplishing the mission of God. Here's the good news. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. We do not give up because we are more than conquerors. I want to read the scripture to you again because it's so powerful. Romans 8 and verse 35 to 37 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You might feel like you're a sheep that's being led to the slaughter. But this is what verse 37 says. No, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us.